This is the MLW Radio Network. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It's your boy, Blackheart, the head honcho off the top roast podcast. If you love independent and professional wrestling and like all the juicy gossip of the wrestling industry, then look no further than here, OTTR Headquarters. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitch, and Facebook groups, and whatever that you get your podcast from with our, with our latest Last Week of Wrestling, After Darts, Under Boss's Hard Taste, and now a new upcoming trivia game show, Wrestling Every, coming soon. So if you like what you've seen, you love professional wrestling, you love independent wrestling, you love everything about wrestling just yourself, give us a tune. You know, you would not regret it. Blackheart out. Everyone knows a lot of things can change in the span of 10 years. But when it comes to professional wrestling podcasting, one thing is still guaranteed. The Shining Wizards is the only place to get all the latest wrestling news, interviews with the greatest guests, and of course, tons of laughs in discussing the world of wrestling. The show is still available on Monday nights at 7 p.m. East on RantDMRadio.com and Rant Entertainment Media on the TuneIn app. And it's still available on all podcasting platforms. To check us out, head over to ShiningWizards.com where it's still wrestling talk and talk about wrestling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. My name is Thomas, and what's your name? Uh, I'm Alan. Alan. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We're brothers. That's right. Yeah, yeah the mother, same mother and father. Your room was. Oh, we shared a room. Shared a room. For we us? shared a room. I thought I knew your face. Yeah, we go we? way back, mate. Yeah. yeah, we should do a podcast then. Uh, we have. We do. We do a podcast. We do a podcast. What's it called? The Broadcast. Yeah, that was planned. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do we do? Well, we cover all different things in the world of pop culture. We're talking about comic books, we're talking about professional wrestling, and we're talking about movies. Go back and watch classic retro wrestling events, the likes of WWE, WCW, and if you do like that, you can check us out on Apple iTunes, also on Podbean, Anchor, and on Podknife. Also check us out on Twitter, at The Broadcast. That's B-R-O. Okay, yeah, yeah. Hey, the ending. Hey, it's all right. Good on you. Yeah. Instagram also at the Broadcast Podcast. Remember, we don't spell it with a C. We spell it with a K. Sorry, mate. Take it easy. Welcome to another episode of the Front Room Material brand. My name is Mike Freeland. I am happy that you are joining us. As always, it's interview time here on the show. And I talk about how excited I am when I get to talk to people. But, you know, as exciting as it is to talk about different people who've been in the business for, for decades and decades and decades, it's so interesting and exciting to get a chance to talk to people who are in the industry right now and who are cutting their teeth and getting ready to take the next step. My guest tonight is uh, is Ryan Mooney. He's been in the business for five years now. He's been here, there, and, and everywhere. He has a connection to Ring of Honor, we're going to talk about his training with that as well, and what his experiences are so far in the, the world of wrestling after being in it for a few years. So with that being said, let's go ahead and let's bring the man himself in, Mr. Ryan Mooney. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing just fine. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's uh, good to talk to you and uh, meet you. I'm glad we got this organized finally. We know we've been trying to do it for a little bit. We keep missing each other, uh, so I'm glad we got to finally do it. Absolutely. It's uh, two ships passing in the night, but you know what? At the end of the day, we're able to get this thing going. So uh, how's life treating you, I mean, so far right now in, in 2022? Man, you know, life is actually really good. Like, uh, it's kind of the best it's ever been on every single front in regards to wrestling, in regards to my personal life, my career aspirations outside of wrestling. Uh, I feel like I'm kind of firing on all cylinders right now. And 
that's really cool for me too, because if you had asked me that about three years ago, when things were a little bit more chaotic and things were a little bit more uncertain, um, I don't think I would have had the same positive mindset, but I really feel like I'm leveling up in every facet of my life. And that is so cool and, and so much fun to experience and be along for that ride. I think the most important thing is, and I think you touched upon it, is that you're always moving up. You're always continuing to progress and evolve. And it seems like you're genuinely happy where you're at right now. And I think that's huge because there's so many things in life, especially what we'll talk about in this business. This is a tough industry. And I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're, you're actually in it. I just talk about it. But there's a lot of things in there that um, definitely give you pause. And uh, definitely can question, make you question some things at times, yeah. but uh, we'll definitely get into that. But let's kind of first talk about uh, how you first got interested in wrestling, because so many people share different stories. We've heard wrestlers say, you know, it was something that I watched with my grandfather or me and my dad would sit down and watch it or my cousins or the neighbors or whatever. So what was your first memory of wrestling and, and how did that kind of evolve? Yeah, so for me, uh, wrestling was something that I uh, became a big fan of through video games, actually. Uh, I, would, I would go over to uh, my friend's house uh, after school, who was like my best friend in elementary school. He had a cousin who was a little bit older and who was playing all of the retro uh, WWF, WWE uh, video games at the time. Like, Here Comes the Pain, SmackDown Shut Your Mouth. And, you know, I didn't watch and know any of the characters from television, but just from the presentation uh, that I saw them uh, through the video games, right? And the kind of the larger than life aspect of the characters, the wacky storylines, throwing people off the big SmackDown fist and here comes the pain. Uh, I really took to it and it was really uh, this, this really appealing thing that I just gravitated towards. Then it was an extension of that when I went and started watching it on television because I would ask my friend's cousin, I'd be like, well, who's this guy? I remember I would say, uh, let's, Ray Mysterio was wearing the mask. You know, I was like, who's this guy wearing the mask? Like, he's really cool. And he's like, he's Ray Mysterio. You should check him out on TV. Like, watch him like this day, this time. So I would then go and I would extend my my passion and my interest to actually watching the product and then become investing in the characters and uh, then kind of just taking off from there. So it was one of those things that it didn't start with any, you know, uh, bond with a family member or like a, a grandfather story or anything like you just said there. It was one of those things where, uh, you know, you and your friends, you know, uh, we have these innate violent tendencies as children and we want to <laughs> exercise the tendencies. So what better way than to go after school and start hitting each other with steel chairs and sledgehammers virtually, of course. Uh, and that's kind of how it started. Absolutely. No, it's so interesting you mentioned that because the, the gaming world is huge. And I mean, I don't know if I can even possibly contemplate just how enormous it really is. But people love gaming and gaming is a huge thing. And I never really thought about people getting into wrestling, watching it through the gaming world itself. But I mean, I guess there's so many different portals, if you will, to get into it. So what was it like when you first started actually watching it? Were you like, whoa, this is just as enjoyable as the game? Or was it kind of, ah, it's not bad. I still like doing the game more. I think that it was equally just as awesome, but in a completely different way because we you know, you start watching the product, right? And then you start seeing kind of the flow and, and the magic of it all. It's not just this, uh, this chaotic environment like it is in the video game where it's just anarchy and just everything. There's no rules and everyone's just beating the crap out of each other. When you're actually watching the product, right? You're seeing the, the dance that is going on between the two opponents, right? You're seeing them get into 
that flow state, you know, that we would describe it as, you know, um, like one of my side hobbies that I do is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, and one of the things that we always talk about is trying to get your jiu-jitsu to a state where you can just do it in a state of flow, where you're just chaining things together, move for move, counter for counter. That's what it felt like when I was watching the, uh, the shows, right, on television. Like I could see the art of it, like taking place in front of me. Um, and yeah, like, you know, I was more invested in the characters, you know, characters obviously being like superheroes larger than life on this, on this grand scale. But I think even then, like with some of these wrestlers, especially the wrestlers that we would consider more like the workhorse guys, uh, you know, like the Rey Mysterios and the cruiserweights and all of those guys around that, that SmackDown period of time, um, in the early two thousands, you could really see them getting into that state of flow that we were kind of talking about in, you know, the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu terms. Um, so it was really equally awesome, just in a completely different way. Like if you wanted the anarchy, just balls to the wall insanity, the video game was great for doing that because there was no semblance of realism to it. Um, but if you, you know, tuned into the show, you could get a lot of the same aspects, but then you would see something completely different than would be presented in that video game, which is obviously artificial. Who were some of the people that when you started watching, you really found yourself gravitating towards? Like, I know you had mentioned, wow, this Rey Mysterio character is really cool inside the video game. And then your friend said, hey, you should should tune in and watch. Was it just Ray, or was there other people that caught your eye and you thought, wow, this is, I got to continue watching this person? No, I mean, there were plenty more than, than Rey Mysterio. And I almost even hate to like, you know, list a bunch of them just out of fear of like leaving people out because that whole like roster around like the ruthless aggression time, like every single person that I would watch on TV, like even if I was invested in some more so than others, all of them to me were entertaining in their own unique way. Um, but the ones that really stuck out to me the most, for example, like, you know, I would always tune in to see a Rey Mysterio match. Or then when I started watching Raw, right, I would always tune in to see a Shawn Michaels match because his wrestling to me, you know, and you have to take into consideration too, something about me is that I started watching wrestling when I was 10 years old, right? So maybe even a little bit older than some people would, would kind of start if they were watching with a parent or a brother or a sibling, anything like that. So I haven't seen a lot of wrestling before the like early 2000s time period. So to me, like that was what I grew up believing like wrestling was. So like for Sean specifically, um, to me, his entire career was from that early 2000s period on, right? So I didn't even see a lot of the stuff that he had done earlier. I've had to go back and kind of retroactively see it. But like HBK would be one of those guys where no matter what match he was on, no matter where it was at on the card, I would always see like he's getting into this, this flow state. He's making wrestling an art form, right? You can see just how smooth and how clean this, this wrestling is that he's doing. And it was guys like him, guys like Mysterio, guys like Chris Jericho, uh, those guys, Eddie Guerrero, I would even say, you know, a lot of those guys to me really resonated because, you know, I'm not the largest guy in the room, no matter where I go. Right. Especially in a wrestling locker room when there are all these big beefy guys walking around, but when I go out and I try to have a match, one of the things that's always in my mind is trying to bring this audience to the semblance of this flow state, because that's what I really latched onto as a fan. So I really want to try and continue that kind of wrestling style now and into the future. Uh, and the good thing about wrestling is there's all these different wrestling styles. So it's like music. You, you can find something that anybody will like, right? Uh, anybody can find something that will appeal to them and that they'll gravitate towards. So for people who like that cruiserweight style, 
who like that that technically proficient uh, flow state style, uh, I'm really trying to to emulate that a lot in what I do because I think it's what I'm good at personally, you know. And we amplify our strengths, right? Hide our weaknesses and work on our weaknesses and try and turn them into strengths. But that's kind of uh, my mindset on wrestling, and I got it from a lot of those guys, Jericho, Sean, and Mysterio. So when you were watching, obviously the early two thousands up up to current. And then you said, you know what, I have to go back in time to watch what they did prior to this before I really got into to watching it. Could you tell that there was that wrestling was at a different place uh, in the early 90s? And then if you even go back into the 80s and the 70s, my first wrestling event was WrestleMania 3, which, wow, I'm really dating myself at this point. But the point is, did you find that you enjoyed the product as much? Because what you knew was the 2000s and beyond when you went back into the 90s and then you back into the did you like it as much or did you find that there was definitely differences and nuances that had changed to the point when you started watching yeah no, that's a really good question and i think that's one of the coolest things about wrestling in general is how much it changes adapts and evolves and sometimes over a very short period of time like if you think about it like from the 90s right like attitude era time period to the ruthless aggression time period that i was watching that's not a significant period of time in human history that has really passed but so many things changed in such a, a rapid uh state right such an accelerated pace um so when i go back and i watch some of those things uh i watch it from a i think a scientific and, a, and an analytic point of view right like if i'm studying it i'm trying to learn from it especially when i got into the business I would start doing it almost as if I was doing homework for school, right? Um, and I would find all this stuff, like, you know, uh, wrestlers who had no longer wrestled anymore, like Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart and all those guys that I, that I missed just because of how young I was at the time. And I really have come to appreciate and enjoy the work of those guys. The only thing I noticed was that for me, there was just a little bit less of an emotional attachment because it wasn't what i grew up watching right like we all have a certain soft spot in our heart for the stuff that we grew up watching you know regardless of what the quality of that actually is right we could you know argue about that till the cows come home like the actual quality of whatever it is that we're watching whether it's television shows movies you know i could watch really bad movies but if it's a movie i watched a lot when i was a kid to me it's not going to matter whether or not the movie is actually of good quality it's it formed an emotional connection and emotional attachment to me, right? So I can appreciate and really value and enjoy watching the work of people that came before the time period that I started watching wrestling in. But I think I'm always going to have a stronger emotional connection for the guys that made me fall in love with professional wrestling, right? As much as I love and appreciate the work of like Ric Flair, Bret Hart, Stone Cold, The Rock, all those people that came before the ruthless aggression period. It's those ruthless aggression era roster guys and girls too that really made me fall in love with professional wrestling. So I think I'm always going to hold them to a, a higher standard maybe than than the other people just because of that. It's my own biases too. And and everyone's entitled to that. I mean, once again, that's what you know, right? That that's your that's your base point right there. And then you go up from there, and you kind of say, okay, this is what I would compare this to. So that makes complete sense. So let's kind of dig a little bit deeper. Now that you're watching it, obviously you're gaming. 
when was the first live event that you went to? What was what was the first live event and who did you go with and, and what was your experience like? Because I feel like whenever you talk to a wrestler and they talk about their love of wrestling, obviously it has that it has to begin somewhere. And then obviously it culminates into that first time that there was a live event. And I got to see this. So tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where my uh, my really strong memory for like certain details comes into play because I can really vividly remember this first event. And, you know, I still have like uh, photos like uh, printed out, like when people, you know, didn't have smartphones. I still have those laying around in my house of like <laughs> the upfront snapshots that I was able to yep. get. Guys. But so, yeah, so keep in mind. So I started watching wrestling religiously uh, 2006 around WrestleMania season. I didn't go to my first live event until two years later. So it was 2008, summer of 2008. And my family was going on a summer vacation, you know, while we were off from school to Wildwood, New Jersey, down to the beach. Uh, nice. My mom was a big beach goer, loves the beach. So we went there and we just so happened to learn that WWE was coming to the Wildwood Convention Center that same week that we were going on vacation. I think it was even like the, maybe the first night that we were there. So I, practically when i found out i begged my mom to scoop up tickets for us because i had never been and i really wanted to to go and see all the people that i was watching on television every single week especially in that 2008 period of time like i don't know if you remember that year specifically but there's a lot of cool stuff that was going on a bit around that period of time like cm punk had just won the world title for the first time chris jericho and Shawn michaels had this amazing feud this rivalry yep. that was just so captivating to watch on television every week when Jericho turned heel and was wearing the suits. Uh, so I begged my mom to go. So we went and uh, it was such an amazing experience. I remember we went to try and meet CM Punk and Mickey James who were doing like an autograph signing uh, around the corner from the venue a little bit earlier that day. The line was just like around the corner. It went like two blocks, I think. We didn't get close to them before they ended up having to leave. But I remember seeing them from a distance and even just that, that that distance between us and seeing them in person for the first time it was so cool that was like the first time i'd ever seen a wrestler in person uh, as a real human being so we went to the show there was so much fun stuff going on up and down the card um i saw kane so kane was there kane had this this gimmick at the time where he was doing like he had this sack he was carrying around and there was like something in it and we all wanted to know like what it was if it was like his old kane mask if he was going back to mask kane right or so I remember we were shouting, just open the bag, open the bag. Let's see it. Um, there was uh, like, you know, Jamie Noble, William Regal, Snitsky was there. And that was when Snitsky had the gimmick where he uh, had these really yellow teeth. Yes. And really gross. And like everyone in the crowd was just chanting, like brush your teeth at him and all that stuff. <laughs> um, and then what else was on the card? The one thing that was super, I was super bummed about, because you know how they always say cards subject to change, right? Sure. Um, they advertised Shawn Michaels versus Chris Jericho on that show, right? So they obviously before that a month, like Jericho and HBK, they had a pay-per-view match where Jericho injured Shawn. It was looking like he was going to have to retire. So they took Shawn off the billing for the card. And I was so upset. I was so mad. I wanted to see them fight so badly. And then Rey Mysterio also got injured around that same time too. So like my favorite wrestler that I wanted to be on the show as well uh like two of them weren't there and i was so upset but it was also so much fun because whenever jericho walked down the ramp uh he was just the worst you know heel at that point just a complete piece of crap 
So I would shout like, you suck Jericho at him and all that stuff and just trying to berate him and be mean to him. And then at the end, it was JBL and CM Punk for the world title. And um, it was super cool. Like JBL would come out and trash Wildwood and say, all the people here are just redneck pieces of trash and I'm going to take the world title. And then CM Punk gave him a, a good old knee right to the face and beat him for everybody there in attendance. And it was super cool. I went and bought um, a, a CM Punk t-shirt after that show. That was like my first wrestling piece of merch that I ever bought at the show. It was super cool, man. And I, I bought the WWE program with all the talent in it. And my sister and I would just sit around and go through the pages, checking out all the stats on the guys, what the roster was that they were on. It was, it was awesome, man. Like the only way I could really describe it is it was super, it was just magic, you know? And that's what wrestling to me like really is like in its best form and the best moments is just magic. Um, and that was perfectly captured that day for me. It's like a perfect day in my life that it'll never be ruined under any circumstances. So that's my first story. That's a hell of a first story. Let me tell you that. Oh my gosh. I mean, just from the, the way you described it and everything. So give me a time frame. How old were you at that time? So I was, so my birthday is in August and it was August around that time. I think I was probably like 12 years old okay. around that period of time. Yeah. So I started watching wrestling when I was like nine or 10 and then first made it to the first show at 12. But I'll tell you what, we made up for it, uh, missing out on shows earlier on in my life because every time they would come around, I started getting better at using the internet too as I got older around that 12, 13 time frame. So I'd <laughs> always be checking the WWE touring schedule. So whenever I would see that they were coming to Wildwood or they were coming to uh, Trenton uh, in the Sun Center, which is where I, near where I live, or near Philadelphia at the Wells Fargo Center, I would tell my mom, I was like, Mom, you know, what's, you know what time it is, right? It's in WWE time, so let's go. So <laughs> and she would always be like, really, again? Like, didn't you just see them like last year? And I'm like, yeah, but now this guy's here, this guy's here. They're, they're different feuds, different fights. Like, let's go. Come on. Wow, that is awesome. So 12 years old, uh, did you start talking about wrestling at school? Was that a thing too? Because I know some people had friends at school. You would talk at lunch or in between classes. Was that something that uh, was a thing with you? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know how like they say for people who grew up in the Monday Night War period of time, right? Like they would go to school and everybody and their mother would be talking about Nitro or would be talking about Raw that week. Absolutely. Right? Even if yep. they weren't really wrestling fans, it was just something that was so ingrained in popular culture that everybody was talking about it at the time. So for me, you know, I noticed a, a more scaled down version of that. Like my friends, they all were talking about like wrestling and WWE and stuff like that. Um, not to the same extent that someone would be talking about it back then, but I would learn about it from my friends who were more educated on the topic than me. Right. And, and my, one of my best friends at the time was one of those people, uh, you know, he's the one who invited me to his house to play here comes the pain or play shut your mouth. And it's almost like, it would almost like be in like history class. Right. Um, whenever we're playing with the different characters, I'd ask him like, all right, who's this guy? Like, who's this uh, triple H? Like what does triple H do? I'd be like, what does triple H stand for? Tell me, I wanted to learn all these different things about all the characters and all the wrestlers. And my friend was kind of like my tutor or like my teacher. And another uh, thing that I remember about the video game aspect that I forgot to tell you was my uncle was also uh, kind of a wrestling fan from that Monday Night War period of time. And he had, for the original PlayStation, he had one of the original WCW games. Oh, right? yeah, Nitro, yep. 
Yeah. So he had one of the WCW games. I can't remember which one it was. I just found it the other day when I was cleaning my room. It's whatever it is. It's a disc with Sting's face on it, like Crow Sting. So whichever one that would be. And I remember the only person I knew in the game was Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. So I'd always play as him and I'd always do one of the battle Royals. Right. And every single time it's almost like video games, uh, kind of, uh, matching the art of the actual yep. TV show. Every single time, I'm not kidding. Sting would come into the battle royal, and he'd come and get you. He would he would eliminate me every yep. single time as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. It's like the game knew exactly how to program itself based on what was happening at the time when they were like feuding or whatever. So that was kind of how I learned. I learned through my uncle and playing games with him, and through my friends and playing games with them. And it's so weird how it's something that everybody loved then. And I think everyone always takes one of two paths with professional wrestling when you're a kid. You either grow out of it in a sense and kind of fall out of love with it and move on to other things, or you continue to learn about it and your passion for it just continues to grow as you learn more about the business and you learn more about the, the inside uh, you know, stuff, the tricks of the trade and the little secrets. And for me, once the curtain was pulled back, it didn't make me like the product it didn't make me dislike professional wrestling once i learned um that it wasn't you know real or that it was scripted or whatever it just made me fall more in love with it as an art form you know instead i looked at it not as a complete sporting competition it then became art to me so then i became fascinated uh by the artistic aspect of it i know you'll probably say yes to this next question but i'm gonna throw it out there so i assume that you've seen beyond the mat then yeah, yeah, I did see Beyond the Mat. It was actually at a drive-in movie theater wrestling show that I was on last year. Uh, there's these really cool shows that, that take place in like rural Pennsylvania for this company called LVAC, LVAC. And what they do is they would set up a wrestling ring, and then after the matches, they would broadcast two movies on a big, uh, you know, drive-in movie theater screen. So oh, wow. that night, and they would always do different movies, so always different wrestling-related movies. So that night, it was Beyond the Mat first, so I saw that for the first time, and then it was Hulk Hogan in some movie. I don't. It might have been called... Turbo. Was it No Holds Barred? No, it wasn't No Holds Barred. What was it called? He was like um, working for the president or something like that. Oh, I can't can't remember what it was called. So Mr. Nanny, um, let me think. He was working for the president? I think he was working for the president or he was – Is what's Mr. Nanny? Is he like guarding children in that movie or something? Yes. It's probably Mr. Nanny then. That's probably he, what it was. Did he ever wear a tutu at any point in time? I feel like he was like – he had some kind of like special connection with like these younger children. So it was – and it were maybe it had been like a sign to protect them or something. So it okay. might have been something like that. I can't remember what it was. I really wish I could remember it. I'm, is there a I'm, movie called Commando with him? Well, Suburban Commando is another that, one. That's the one it was. Suburban no, it was, Commando. Yes. Now I remember. It was Suburban Commando. That was. Oh, my movie. God. What kind of sweet night was that at the drive-in? You got to see Beyond the Mat and then Suburban Commando, which is is legendary. Um, Christopher Lloyd is in that one. He was obviously in Back to the Future. Sure. Um, <laughs> but that's crazy. So what did you think when you saw Beyond the Mat? Was it something that you kind of, for a lot of wrestlers I've talked to, they said when they saw that movie, that was something that made them want to get into the business. Was it something that in increased your 
curiosity or was it, you know what, I'm already really hooked. It, it doesn't matter, but this is really cool to see this. Well, when I saw Beyond the Mat, um, so I was a little late to the party. This was last year. So I was already like way ingrained. Oh, wow. So you were already a pro at this. You already turned I, pro. And I was late to the party. Me. Yeah. I went to the show like to like try and work on the show. You know what I mean? Um, and I just happened to stay, you know, just to enjoy the movies afterwards. And it's one of those things where everybody, you know, since I've been in wrestling, everyone's saying, you should watch this, you should watch this, this, and this. And it's just been one of those things where like, I can't watch everything. And if people are going to tell me a thousand <laughs> things to watch, it becomes overwhelming. So I just don't want to watch anything. So then finally the opportunity presented itself instead of me having to like seek it out. So I was like, you know what? Everyone raves about this. I just want to see it just to know like what all the hype is about. So, you know, I watched it and I can tell what you're talking about with, you know, the pulling back behind the curtain and stuff like that. Um, I think for me personally, if I had seen that when I was younger, I think that that would have kind of spurred me maybe even a little bit quicker uh, to get into wrestling um, because, you know, it then becomes something that seems more feasible for the average person, for the everyman, you know, and, you know, I know certain people think that that's a bad thing. Certain people think that that's a good thing. The, the better access or the increased feasibility of, of wrestling. I know some people have different opinions on that, um, as far as like gatekeeping and screening and stuff like that for people. Um, but for me, I think that would have just made it feel like. I could do this at an earlier age than I ended up kind of thinking that or coming to that mindset. I like that. Um, when you talk about something like beyond the mat, I think it's something that you said before you really, really touched on it. Well, it makes you believe that anybody, not anybody, but it, every man's man can do this. Not just these giants who are six, five, 300 pounds type of deal where talent can come from any shape, any size, anywhere. And it really depends on how much heart you have. If you have the heart for it, the audience will gravitate towards you. I mean, look at Spike Dudley. You know, he was gushing out the head and he was, um, gosh, he was, uh, what was he doing? He was reciting some type of poem or whatever like that and talking about, hey, he was an English teacher. And, and now he does this for a thrill. And Spike became a huge deal. And Spike wasn't a huge dude. But I mean, he, like you said earlier, he knew what his strengths were. He knew how to make that connection with the audience without having to be the size of, you know, the giant or something to that nature. Um, so let's go ahead with the timeline here. You were 12. You saw the, the live event, yada, yada. You keep going on. Are you involved in sports at this time in your life? Are you doing other things um, outside of gaming? So where are you at 12, 13 right now? So when I was... So when I was when I was younger, uh, around uh, six years old, we have to go back a little bit. Um, my parents really wanted me to get more active in some kind of extracurricular activities because uh, life was a little bit hard around that period of time. Um, a lot of things were unstable in regards to uh, my family life and the environment I was growing up in. Um, my parents were getting divorced, um, and it, it was pretty nasty. And it wasn't really like an amicable split, like in any way, shape, or form. And there's a lot of stuff that I was exposed to as a kid that in hindsight, I really don't think was appropriate for me to have to witness. Um, so, and around the same period of time, you know, I was exposed to uh, like death for the first time with my family members, some of them passing away, um, you know, losing it. I lost uh, in the same summer, like we lost an aunt and, uh, and one of my grandfathers. Um, so a lot of stuff was happening all at that period of time. 
And my parents, I think the goal that they were, that they had in mind was to get me more actively involved in like a sport or some kind of activity or hobby uh, to kind of take my focus away from what was going on in my personal life. So, you know, they made me try a few things. Like I think I ended up trying soccer uh, for a little bit and, you know, it just wasn't really uh, appealing to me. So I did try uh, martial arts and karate uh, when I was six years old. And I ended up doing that for seven years uh, and taking to it, you know, uh, pretty well, kind of like a duck to water. Uh, so I went, did the whole thing for about seven years, got my black belt when I was 13. Um, and that was kind of the extent to which I participated in sports uh, throughout my teen years. Um, I went through my rebellious teen phase, like I think a lot of other people do. And I I came to the conclusion in my mind then, I wish that I had thought a little bit more about this, but I came to the conclusion that sports were stupid. And I thought the sports were clicky and dumb and that people who did sports were dumb. Uh, but it turned out that I was the dumb one because I ended up not doing anything and not making like more friends, like as a result of not putting myself out there more with people. Um, so, you know, if you could ask me in hindsight, like, would I have rather have done something else? Like, yeah, like when I quit, when I quit karate at 13, like I would either like to go back and, you know, have not quit that and kept going and seeing how far I could go with that or try something else like, you know, amateur wrestling, because that might've been an interesting avenue to explore. Like I know I liked wrestling and there's a certain aspect of the professional wrestling in the Greco-Roman style, right? Even if it's only a minor connection. Um, so I didn't really do all that much of like sports related stuff from about 13 to 21 when I started training in professional wrestling. I mean, I worked out like a lot, like with my dad and we bonded over that. And that became like a big hobby of mine was like uh, weightlifting and bodybuilding and stuff. But uh, there was a period of time where I wasn't really involved in, in anything. And I think that's why now uh, I'm, you know, at a point in my life where you know, I'm 26 years old last year, I started doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And to a lesser extent, I started doing kickboxing. And I think I'm trying to shoehorn all those things in now, almost in a way, because I feel like I'm trying to make up for this time I feel like was lost, not doing as much. Um, but so to answer your question, you know, overall, uh, that period of time when I'm growing up as a teenager and wrestling, I'm not really engaged in any extracurricular sports or anything like that. Uh, so wrestling made me have even more time to obsess over professional wrestling, you could say. <clears throat> So what was the point that you thought to yourself, or maybe you had a conversation with a friend or somebody, and you really started to kick around the notion that, you know what, I would like to potentially explore this. Like, like where could this go? Or could I do this? Or who would I talk to? Was there a moment that you remember when you actually thought, you know, towards the end of high school, or maybe it was during high school, that, you know what, people are talking about going to college and doing this and that, or whatever it may be, but I do want to ultimately be in pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, around that, you know, teenage period of time, like the early teen years, because my passion for wrestling was extending, you know, I was learning about all the other products and alternative, uh, you know, products in wrestling that existed outside of the WWE bubble. So, WWE was my first wrestling love, but because of WWE, I found out about Impact Wrestling, or then it was called TNA. And because of TNA, I found out about Ring of Honor. You know, and because of Ring of Honor, I found out about X, Y, and Z. So it, it kind of was like this rabbit hole that I just started going down yep. and I started learning more about all these things. And, you know, the cool thing about all those other products like TNA and ROH for me at the time was, oh, uh, CM Punk came from there. 
oh, Samoa Joe came from here, right? Like AJ Styles came from here. All these people, uh, you know, had gotten to that bigger stage and had come through some of those smaller companies at the time, like a Ring of Honor. So all it started to dawn on me that wrestling was not something that just existed in WWE. It was something that existed outside of that. And I thought to myself, I was like, well, if I can, if there's all this wrestling that I can see, there's probably even more of it that exists that I don't see yep. on a regular basis, just because of, you know, lack of the proper platform. Right. Um, so I started thinking more about this as I became a high school student. And, you know, you have conversations in high school with your, you know, guidance counselor, teachers about what do you want to do with your life afterwards. And it was just really hard for me to figure out what I was going to do because the only thing I could think about was professional wrestling. Um, and, you know, I was watching, I think it was God, like early NXT at the time. And I'm talking like FCW NXT, like yep. with Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose and Leaki and all these guys, Leo Kruger, all of those fun uh, gimmicks around that period of time. And I think one day I just said to my dad, I think I said to him, I was like, dad, like, I don't know. I feel like I can do this. I just, I couldn't tell him why, but I just felt like when I was watching this, I was like, I think I can do this. It was just this instinctual feeling that I had like in my bones. And, you know, I would have that when I would watch like certain wrestlers and certain matches, when I would see them do that, I'd be like, I may be wrong or I may be biased, but I feel like I can do that too. So what happened was, is, you know, I kind of put it on the back burner for a while because I did go to college because my parents wanted me to go to college. So I kind of did that to, you know, try and appease them, um, you know, try and make their dreams come true for what they had envisioned for my life. And I went to college, I made it through two years of that. And then it came to the point where I was like, I was like, man, I, I went to my first ring of honor show because ring of honor came to Philadelphia for final battle around that period of time it was like 2015. And my friend, the only friend that I had left who still liked wrestling wanted to go with me. So we went and it was really cool. The show was amazing from top to bottom. I would see all of these, these awesome characters like, you know, cheeseburger who ended up becoming my trainer. And the main event was uh, AJ Styles versus Jay Lethal. And to this oh. day, it's still the best match I think I've ever seen live. Oh my gosh. Um, Those two are incredible. Yeah. It's still to this day. I still count it as the best match that I've ever seen in person. Uh, and I had a feeling that night when I saw that, I was like, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. I want to create something like that uh, in my life, right? Um, so I started looking for schools around the summer of 2016. And what had happened was, you know, to talk about life circumstances kind of affecting decisions and influencing people's decisions. My mom, unfortunately, around that period of time, uh, you know, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And the reason why that's relevant to the story is because, you know, that threw my whole world for a loop. And the only thing I could think about was, um, you know, trying to take care of her and trying to help her out while she was navigating through chemotherapy and eventually having to get surgery and all this stuff. So I told her, I was like, I was like, mom, like, I'm going to forget about the wrestling thing. Like, I'm not going to do it. This is not the right time for this to happen. Um, I'm going to put this on the back burner because, you know, I'm going to stay home and try and help you out. Like, and pick up some extra slack for you. Um, cause I was about to go to college, go to my third year. And I just figured there's no way I was going to be able to do all this stuff at the same time. Like life, you have to set your priorities in certain situations. And I was like, this has got to be a higher priority than wrestling, than chasing this 
pipe dream to me. Um, and I was looking for schools before that happened, before she was diagnosed. And, you know, I found uh, the CZW Academy in Blackwood and Voorhees, New Jersey. Um, and then the Ring of Honor Dojo actually around that period of time was announcing that it was coming back from hiatus. So these schools were near my house. This dream that I had like really started to feel like it was becoming uh, something that was uh, feasible or something that I could achieve or something I could actually chase, not something that was out of my reach. Um, because, you know, you go and look at all these other schools, like type in on Google, what are the best wrestling schools that exist? Around the time, a lot of them were not in this tri-state area that I live in. Um, but these two were like, oh, okay, I can go to CZW or I can go to Ring of Honor. Like I can, one of them I can go to and I can try and make this dream a reality. But I told my mom, long story short, mom, I'm not going to do this. Like I'll wait, I'll put it off. And she's the one that told me, no, like this is the reason why you have to do this is because life is so unpredictable and something can happen at any period of time. Don't push it off any further. Go now. Like you need this. Like we need this to happen for you now, especially with how like erratic and unstable life is. Like you need to chase this dream now. Otherwise you might never do it. And, you know, I'm very grateful that in that moment, um, she had every right in that moment to be thinking about herself and thinking about how I could stay home to help her. And instead, all she could think about was trying to urge me to chase my dream. And I'm very grateful that that happened. And because of that, I applied to the Ring of Honor Dojo and I got accepted and I went there and started training on my 21st birthday. And the rest from has happened ever since then because of that, that decision. Not to be nosy into your personal business, how is how is your mother doing? Uh, so my mom is actually currently five years breast cancer free at this that, point. That is tremendous. It is it is amazing. Um, it's been a wild roller coaster ride, but five years, uh, and at this point, her doctors have declared her to be in full remission because of being five years cancer free. So. That's tremendous. What a huge victory! I mean. Wow, gosh, I'm just I'm I'm looking here watching you tell the story and it's like how cool is that? I mean, for her to for everything she was going through and for you to be selfless and want to take care of her but yet her saying no, you know, this is something that I I think that you deserve and that you need to do and then to see you win and then to see her win it it's just uh damn that's a good feeling. That's it's, a really good feeling. You're right. Yeah, no, it's it's the best feeling and in comparison to everything else in wrestling, all the other moments that I've had up to this point, all the special things that I've been able to be a part of, uh, none of them hit as hard as, as that does. Being able to to see her five years later be cancer-free and and just to, to see that, to see her be happy and be healthy. And that's all I, I wanted for her when, when that happened. And um, we weren't so sure for a while that that was where things were going to lead. And uh, she got to, you know, thankfully be around for some of those special wrestling moments too. And I'm glad that she was there because none of those things would have happened without her um, and the influence that she had on me. Like my first Ring of Honor show that I was at, that I was on, right, when I wrestled in the 2300 Arena um, with, Cody, with Cody, you know, and, and for the world championship at the time, um, the first place that I'd ever seen a Ring of Honor show. And she was there in the crowd. Wow for that moment and uh cheering me on hoping that i was going to beat cody for the ring of honor world championship and what a special moment and it's even more special because she was there 
it wouldn't nearly have the same amount of impact if she hadn't been there to see it in person. But wow. yeah, my mom's a superhero. And, uh, you know, we talk about the wrestling characters and Rey Mysterio, Sean, Jericho, all those guys to me, they were heroes to me growing up. But my mom, my mom's a real life superhero. So, you know. She's uh, she's tough as nails and has got a heart of gold. And I tell you what, it's those people that you love to see um, with their hand raised high. If we're going to use a, uh, a wrestling analogy at the end of a match, because they definitely deserve it. Um, so 21, you're now officially training in, in ring of honors dojo. Um, what was that like? I mean, kind of take me through day one of that. When you first get there, is it, are you still kind of awestruck or is it kind of like, you know what I'm here, I'm ready to go. Who was the first person to talk to you? The whole, take me through the minute you walk in, man, it was a real trip because I don't know what exactly I was expecting, but it certainly wasn't what ended up happening when I actually showed up. Because one of the things that they do in wrestling schools, at least for our school, I don't know if they do it everywhere. I assume they do because it's kind of part of like a screening interview process um, to make sure that, you know, you're not letting a psychopath into your uh, wrestling school. Absolutely. Um, one of the things they do is they make you come in and they make you sit down for an interview and kind of talk to you about your wrestling aspirations and why you want to be a part of it. So. I don't know what I was expecting, but you know, I was invited to come to the Ring of Honor Dojo, which is now Cheeseburger School, the worldwide dojo. But at the time, it was the original Ring of Honor Dojo. Um, so I wasn't sure what I was expecting, but I was expecting to be greeted by, you know, like a guy in a suit or you know, some guys who are like office business people or something like that with a suit and tie. But I show up and <laughs> I open the door, and it's just Cheeseburger just standing right in front of me, and I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what is he doing here? Like, does he work here? Like, this doesn't seem <laughs> like this would add up, right? I was like, huh, okay. So this is the guy that I saw in the first ever Ring of Honor match that I watched live. Okay, that's kind of cool. Uh, keep it together. Try and keep it together. Don't be too nervous. Um, and then there, from there, I went in and I did the interview with him. And then also um, Will Ferrara, who wrestled and worked for Ring of Honor for a period of time uh, as well. And... You know, we did the interview with them. So then I showed up for my first day of school, right? And, uh, or training rather. And I was expecting to maybe be in, you know, this kind of like boot camp kind of environment where it's like you and a bunch of other people that you don't know all doing drills, you know, marching around, doing jumping jacks, whatever the hell I thought was going to happen. And I showed up and I was like, there's nobody else here. Where is everybody? And I talked to Berger and I'm like, hey, who else is coming? And he's like, oh, it's just you. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh God. I was like, this is horrifying. Because holy thought, cow. Yeah, because I thought, man, I was like, all right, like my anxiety is riding high, but at least I'll be able to like blend into the background. Yes, have some camaraderie be, with people. Not be noticed as much, not be like given as much individual attention off the bat, but like, no, it was only me. And like whoever the more advanced people were at the time that that passed through or passing through to train. Um, so it was me from day one. It was just me, Berger, Will Ferrara, Delirious was there too. Um, and it was so nerve wracking at the beginning, but I really am grateful that I got to have the experience uh, it, with that level of intimacy and individualized attention, because I think I progressed 
much faster as a result of being the only person there because they were completely invested in my development for the period of time where it was just me. So for about a period of two or three months, you know, I was the only student that Ring of Honor was training from the ground up until some of the other people started coming through that became my training partners um, and wrestling friends um, and confidants. So it was super nerve wracking because I would be getting in there and I'd be doing drills with Berger and Will and Delirious. And, you know, those guys, like they set high expectations for you when you walk through that building. Um, and Berger still does that now with all the students. You, they, We hold the students to a very high standard and, you know, it's sink or swim. Like that's simply the way it is. Like no one's going to hold your hand to get through it. Um, they're going to do everything they can to help you, but the work is on you to make it happen for yourself. Um, and it's really hard because you're trying to program your mind and your body to do things that it doesn't want to naturally do. It's very hard. You're going against your literal human programming by learning how to be a professional wrestler. So there's a period of time where you're literally rewriting the code of your brain and how your brain thinks and functions in that environment. And it can be super frustrating when your body doesn't want to do things that you, your brain wants it to do in those situations. But I'm blessed to have come from that environment because every single step along the way, every moment is contingent on me being from the Ring of Honor Dojo. And I don't know what my career would look like if I had gone anywhere else. Um, I'm really happy that things shook out the way that they did. Wow, that's that's incredible. I, I've heard a ton of stories, but that was uh, where is everybody? That is incredible. But once again, like you said before, you were able to get a lot of one on one attention that very few people, if any, that I know in wrestling. And, and you've probably talked to a bunch of people. Hey, in your training class, how many were there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just me. Um, so as you're training, was there a certain point inside your training that you felt like things are starting to come together? A lot of people have talked about there was that moment where it was like, oh, the light, the, the light switch went on and it was just like, ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. This is starting to roll. What time was that for you? Yeah, it would, and it would happen gradually in little different moments where you would kind of see that, like doing something as basic as a forward roll and like not messing it up, right? Like you would like, these are all things that in theory, they seem super simple, right? But there's all these little intricate movements and pieces of body control that go into just being able to do some of the most simple wrestling things that we all take for granted, you know, seeing it at such an entertaining, you know, level, um, like taking a bump and not knocking the wind out of yourself, right? Uh, or doing a front roll and coming up to your feet and being able to stabilize yourself into a, a fighter stance. Um, and, you know, I was surprised uh, by myself at how much athleticism I actually possessed because um, I didn't really know because I'd never really tested myself to, to that kind of degree before. To I never physically exerted myself quite in that way, right? Because I didn't really do like anything like previously in my life, uh, you know, before 13, uh, you know, from like 13 to 21, I hadn't been doing anything. So I expected there to be like a really significant learning hurdle uh, just physically. Um, but my body kind of naturally knew how to do some of those things from the martial arts training that I had had, because we would do a lot of roles and we would do a lot of specific body movements that you would have to train uh, very meticulously in. Um, so I'll give you a specific kind of moment where I really started to feel like things were, were getting 
on the right track for me. One of the things that was so challenging and anxiety provoking, but also I think was so beneficial was because I was the only student when delirious would come in and he wouldn't always be there for the beginning of class, but sometimes he would just roll in and he would be like, you know, I kind of feel like wrestling someone for about 30 minutes. Um, and he would pick anybody who was there. And sometimes if there were, you know, other wrestlers rolling in who were just training uh, as like a one-off thing because they were in town, you know, he would wrestle them. But because I was there and I was the student, the only student, he would say, you know, I'm going to wrestle Ryan and we're going to wrestle for about 30 minutes. Um, and then he would take me in the ring and we, with whatever knowledge I had at the moment, we would wrestle for 30 minutes straight and we would get through it. Every single time we would do it, it would become easier and easier and easier to the point where we were having, you know, what I think were pretty decent 30 minute long wrestling matches for somebody who didn't know how to wrestle, which I didn't know. Um, so we would end up doing that. And, you know, he would be, you know, kind of praising me and saying like, oh, like, good, you're really coming along. I'm really happy with the progress that you're making. Keep, keep putting the work in, right? Like, don't get content with it. Um, so those moments, every time I would have a, 30 minute match with, with delirious. And it was on the fly. We wouldn't plan anything because he, he loves to work on the fly and not plan any of those, uh, any, any spots or sequences. So every time we would do that, it was like kind of like a measurement of where I was at. Uh, and that would kind of determine how much progress I was making. So those moments were, um, super stressful, but in hindsight, like I said, proper, uh, probably extremely beneficial. <clears throat> So you, you go through the whole training regiment, you go through the, the school, the Ring of Honor school, and now you're officially out there. Mm -hmm. um, what was that like starting to get your, your first booking? Was it something that Ring of Honor helped you get? Was it something that Cheeseburger helped you get or your other trainers, Delirious? Or was it something that was expected for you to go ahead and try to find on your own? Yeah, so you know, it was one of those things where even though you're coming from the Ring of Honor school, right? Because you graduate from the Ring of Honor Dojo, it doesn't mean you automatically get to work for Ring of Honor, right? They And they make that very clear when you're signing up for it. Like, obviously, it can't hurt to come through the Ring of Honor system to, you know, get noticed by Ring of Honor, right? Um, it's kind of, you know, what I thought, you know, obviously, it's one of the reasons why I went to the school was because it was, you know, associated with a professional wrestling television product. Um, but when you get out there, it's not just an automatic, at least at the time, it wasn't like, a, all right, your first match is going to be for Ring of Honor. It was, uh, no, like, you know, we'll help you try and find uh, some lower level, like independent bookings. Sometimes what would happen is Berger would try and get me a booking on whatever show he was on. If they needed a curtain jerker match or, you know, a pre-show match with, you know, some guys who were green uh, and were new and just needed experience and reps. Um, so the first thing that had happened was, and before I, before I even had a match for the first time, I attended one of the ring of honor trial camps that they would take, that would take place at the school over a couple days. Um, and that's where they would bring guys in to see if they wanted to put them on television, like independent wrestlers. So I was there not to actually try out for television because I was like, there's no way in hell that I'm going to get on TV. <laughs> like I'm not even remotely close to being fully trained, uh, to do this, but you know, Delirious would say, come to the tryout camp, take it as if you were trying to get a spot on television. And I would come and I would try to cut the promos. I would try to have the practice matches and do the drills and just try and learn as much as possible. And 
so before I even had a match on a show, I was having practice matches with other independent wrestlers at these camps. Uh, one of them being uh, my favorite one to this day is still me and JD Drake, who you see sometimes on AEW. The wingman. Yes. Yep. Yep. And uh, he and I had a awesome little five minute uh, match, uh, tryout match where we did it. And it was, you know, he was awesome, super professional. He's one of the best wrestlers on the independent scene, in my opinion. Um, and, but they would tell me like, you did a really good job. Like, like he obviously drove the bus because he's the more experienced person, but good job following along. Good job listening to him. Good job reacting to what's going on. Um, so I had a little bit of confidence going into my first actual match on a show because of going through like the tryout camp system and kind of going through those, um, those practice matches. So the first match I ever had ended up being for a promotion run by Bull James, uh, Bull Dempsey from NXT. And it was for his promotion at the time, NYWC. So yes. I went with uh, Will Ferrara and a guy who wrestles in Georgia, who was a guy who was training with us by the name of Matt Sells. Um, and we went and Will got me booked on the show in my first match for that uh, promotion. It was against a guy from uh, Pat Buck and Kevin Matthews uh, promotion, WrestlePro. Uh, by the yes. name of Damian, Damian Gibbs was his name. Um, a man who wore an extreme amount of uh, baby oil. Um, <laughs> I felt it just oozing all over me in the match. Great guy. He was such a sweetheart. But that was my uh, the beginning of my very strong, hateful relationship for baby oil. <laughs> um, that extends even to this day. So, And my gear, too, just to give you a little uh, little context for the story. My gear was a bunch of random stuff that was just thrown together. Uh, for that show that came out of the bin of gear that people had left behind at the ring of honor dojo. So, uh, will my, one of my trainers, will, he gave me his kick pads, his old kick pads that he was using that he didn't wear anymore. Cause he had boots and then hunt, uh, then delirious and burger. Uh, they gave me uh, a pair of Matt Seidel's old tights that I think were made by Daisy Hayes who delirious, oh, wow. uh, delirious and, uh, Daisy Hayes were training students together at the Ring of Honor Dojo once upon a time. So it was me, Matt Seidel's tights with no belt. I didn't have a belt, and there were belt loops <laughs> on the tights. And these kick pads with a Spartan warrior's face on them because Will Ferrara was the Spartan for a little bit in his career. And, um, yeah, so that was what my – oh, but I'm sorry. I forgot the most important part of the story. So we went to the show. I get to the show, and I go to change. I don't have my tights in my bag. My tights were not in my bag. I left them out of the bag when I was packing for the trip. So I showed up to the first booking I ever had, not with the gear that I needed for the match. So what happened was is Matt, Matt Sells, uh, gave me a pair of his trunks. So I wore Spartan kick pads with a pair of like black and orange uh, trunks. And uh, my ring jacket was a hoodie. Uh, and that was it. That was my first year. Just definitely an interesting experience. Well, uh, wrestling on the fly, my friend. Sometimes you gotta you, you gotta make something. You gotta make uh, chicken salad out of chicken shit. Sometimes, and and you just gotta the show goes on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, the only thing that I was hoping when I was gonna use his trunks, as I was really hoping that they hadn't been like ring worn and that they had been washed. Yeah. Because I was yeah. just like. Yeah, I was like, okay. oh, God, I really hope these were cleaned beforehand. <laughs> but 
beggars cannot be choosers. So I, you know, I was just like, all right, let's just do it. We're going to do this. Do it and then swing by an urgent care and get the swab test immediately. Make sure everything's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So you're a pro. You've been doing this for, for five years now. I mean, that's incredible to, to be doing it this long and into this level. Is there any piece of advice anyone's ever given you? Has anyone ever pulled you aside and said, hey, man, uh, I really like what you're doing, but always remember X, Y, and Z. Has anybody ever done anything like that for you? Yeah, I've gotten, and one of the things that's been really great about being around that that Ring of Honor system is I've gotten to, you know, get an ear from so many uh, amazing talents from all different walks of life. You know, so many guys um, who just have so much knowledge, uh, and to sit under those different learning trees was really beneficial for me. Um, and it's a privilege that I, I recognize that not a lot of people are going to have. You know, I've been very fortunate in my wrestling career. Um, to be in the right place at the right time, a lot of different occasions. And I, I don't take that for granted any longer because I know that some people out there are going to work just as hard as me, going to work harder than me, and it's still going to be harder for them to get some of those same experiences that I was able to have. So I don't take any of that for granted, and I recognize how much of a privilege that was. But one piece of advice specifically that has stuck with me to this day because it wasn't relevant to me then, but I didn't realize at the time how relevant it was going to become to my life was delirious would tell me, um, treat wrestling like a piece of music, right? Nobody listens to a song just to skip all the way to the end to see, you know, the very end of it or to listen to the very end of it. Same thing with a movie or a television show. You're going to watch the story and kind of see how it naturally progresses to its natural conclusion. You're not going to skip all the way to the end credits because then the journey doesn't mean anything. So he told me to treat my wrestling career as a piece of music. And he said, so many people are so focused on where they ultimately want to end up, like where they want that end point to be. They miss out on the, the journey, which is the real crucial, you know, piece of everything. Um, so he told me like, don't focus on where you want to go. Just enjoy the ride. Like be a part of the ride. Don't miss out on that because you, you only get it once. So don't miss it the first time because you won't get it the second time. And, you know, at the time I was, I was much younger too. I was only 21. I, I was a kid. I didn't really know what that meant. You know, I was just focused on like, oh man, like I want to wrestle for ring of honor. I want to do this. I want to do that. Like I had this big checklist in my head of fantasies and, and what I wanted to accomplish, like in an ideal world in wrestling. Um, but then I realized that the more focus that I put on that, the more miserable I became as a person and the darkest period of my life in regards to my own mental health ended up being the period of time where I was working for ring of honor, like consistently every single month because I was just so focused on, I have to get to this point or I have to have this happen for me. This is the way my wrestling career has to play out. It just has to. That rigid thinking um, was kind of this mental trap that I fell into. And once I kind of realized that I should just go along for the ride and things will play out the way that they naturally will and the way they're supposed to um, organically, ultimately I became so much happier in wrestling to the point where I can tell you now, as grateful as I am for that period of time I spent in Ring of Honor, my career right now, 
I'm way more satisfied and way more happy with where things are now than I ever was when I was on that bigger platform. And I think it was just because I didn't have the right mindset at the time. But I feel like now in wrestling, I've got that right mindset. Um, that my journey is my journey alone. It's not going to be like anybody else's. I'm going to have certain moments that other people aren't going to be able to get. There are going to be other people who are going to have successes and going to have victories that I won't, I won't get. And that's just the way the business works. It's just the nature of the beast. So my advice that I would give to any anybody up and coming right now, and I, I do this a lot too for like some of the students that come up in Burger School because I, you know, not so much right now, but a while back I was um, trying to be an assistant trainer and try and help him um, bring the, the new generation of students up. I haven't been around as much due to life circumstances, but I would bring them aside. And when they would ask for me for advice, I would, I would tell them that I would be like, try to treat this like it's a piece of music and just let it naturally kind of play out and uh, just be along for the ride. And, you know, if you can be in wrestling to the extent that you want to be in it, it doesn't have to be the same that it is for everyone else. Somebody told me, I think it was uh, brutal. Bob Evans told me um, when I had a seminar of his one time, he said, he told us to raise our hand and said, how many of you want to do this full time for a career? And X number of people raised their hands. How many of you want to do this part time and just have this be your side hobby? And X number of people also raised their hands. And then he says, neither of those things is right or wrong. Like figure out what it is you want out of wrestling and do that to the best of your ability, knowing that either one of those uh, outcomes is perfectly fine to have as a mindset for being in wrestling. So those are two pieces of advice that I try to give everybody is you can be in wrestling to whatever extent you want to be in it. And that is okay. No matter what you decide. And while you're in wrestling, try to enjoy the music while the music lasts, because once the song is over, it's not going to come back on. So that's kind of advice that I've been given that I try to relay to other people. I feel like there's so much more beat on the bone. Um, is there any chance at all that we could bring you back for a, for a part two? Because I feel like there's so many more interesting stories that I feel like we could still tell. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I feel like uh, I didn't expect that we would take an hour to get through just what we've already gotten through. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much more uh, that I would be interested in talking about. So I would love to anytime. Just just hit me up and we'll organize something. Absolutely. Um, let me go ahead and let me have you do some shout outs here as far as upcoming dates and where you're going to be at social media stuff, where people can get merchandise, everything that they need to know. Go ahead and the floor is yours. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as uh, upcoming events, so what I want you guys to do, please, is follow me on the socials and you can follow me on Twitter at rabid ryan mooney you can follow me on instagram which i finally got on after 12 long years i finally <laughs> gave into the peer pressure so follow me on instagram at uh, all lowercase so it's my name so r-y-a-n-s-t-i-n-g-e-l 15. Uh, so follow me on instagram and twitter for all upcoming wrestling uh events uh in september i'm gonna be in massachusetts for pro wrestling grind uh, which is one of my favorite up and coming independent promotions right now. And I'm very grateful that they decided to take a chance on me. And I think you're going to see them do a lot of big things uh, in the future in that Northeast area. Um, but yeah, right now my schedule is a little bit uh, hectic and some things are in the works, but not yet concrete. So uh, do me a favor and follow me on the socials. 
uh, for any upcoming events that become concrete for me uh, coming down the line. And also, uh, if you want to buy uh, any of my merch, uh, you can go to ProWrestlingTees.com, search my name, Ryan Mooney, and you can buy one of two awesome shirts or both shirts if you want. And one of them is actually the shirt that I'm wearing That's right an awesome now. shirt. That is an awesome shirt. I was going to mention that. That's pretty sweet. So yeah, this is my new shirt. Uh, beware of Honey Badger territory. So you can bring Honey Badger territory to any place that you're going to in your personal life. And uh, yeah, you can unleash your inner animal by buying the merch. Uh, so yeah, so that's all the places to find me and to support me if you would like to do so. That is awesome. Like I said, I do apologize. I know we uh, we we covered a lot, but yet there's still so much more to cover with you. We're definitely going to be doing a part two with you as well, but I cannot say thank you enough for carving out some of your evening with us and talking to us. The pleasure has been all mine, and I'm really grateful that you've had me on, and it's so much fun just to be on here talking to people about wrestling and talking to people about life. It's, it's awesome. It's one of the things that I treasure the most about being in wrestling. So... Well, we'll be reaching back out to you, and we will definitely be talking to you down the road, my friend. Awesome. Thank you so much. I look forward to it until our paths cross again. Love it. I'll talk to you soon. Awesome. All right, guys. That's Ryan Mooney. Um, what an incredible interview. I mean, it's it once again, I, I call them interviews, but they're really conversations about somebody who had gone through a lot in life. And I think a lot of people think they go through a lot, but then when you really hear someone else and they tell their story about what they went through in trials and tribulations and a lot of things that happened, but yet he kept his eye on the prize and he had an incredible support team and he never gave up. And to see where he is today is, is truly not to steal or be cliche, an American dream. You know, he, he found it and he did it and he's doing it. And however long it lasts, he can say he did it and he fulfilled his dream. And very few people in this life can actually say that. So I have nothing but love and respect for, for Ryan. Continue to follow him. Go ahead and buy his merchandise as well. We'll go ahead and plug that up on the, uh, on the show's Twitter account as well. But that is going to do it. Hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. And until next time, my name is Mike Freeland, and this has been the Front Material Brand. The world of NLW.